I'm Glenn Crooks, and this is On Frame. This week, the Penenka, an historical perspective on these gutsy penalties and the man it's named after. Longtime soccer writer and historian Michael Lewis is here. And one of those Penenkas occurred during New York City FC's 4 to nothing defeat at Toronto FC by a player who had one of the top debuts in the history of MLS. And uh, New York City now winless in their first four matches of 2019. We'll be talking to Michael in a moment. Later, uh, Tony Marinaro, a sports talk host in Montreal. He's covered the impact for over 16 years, and he'll be in to help provide a preview of New York City FC's home match on Saturday against the Montreal Impact. Front row soccer editor Michael Lewis has covered eight World Cups, seven Olympics, and every one of the 23 MLS Cups. Uh, he writes about New York City FC and the U.S. men's and women's national teams for Newsday. And uh, we've seen his uh, history columns in The Guardian. And he's written seven books about the game of soccer. Michael Lewis, welcome to On Frame. How you doing? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me on. You're quite welcome. So I was trying to think of the guy who's, who's seen it all in MLS after I, I watched this performance uh, in person doing a broadcast of Alejandro Pozuelo. And what an MLS debut. Two goals, one assist. Toronto drubs New York City. The Panenka penalty with his right foot. A looping chip over city keeper Sean Johnson with his left. The guy dictated the tempo throughout the match. He becomes the 17th player to score a brace in his debut for MLS and just the third to score two goals plus an assist. So, Michael Lewis, where does this rank among the uh, MLS debutantes? What do you think? Uh, I would say, you know, close to the top, if not number one, just because I, I think, I, I know we just sometimes go with statistics, and that's nothing wrong about that. Two goals and an assist is pretty impressive. But uh, let's add, let's say something that we see in diving, a degree of difficulty. And uh, and I guess what I mean by that is how spectacular he scored those goals, too. It's You're going to remember that. I'm going to remember that for a very long time, if not forever. And I think a lot of fans will, too. So I would say it's, it's got to be, uh, you know, very much up there again, if not number one, definitely in the top two or three. Well, um, well you know, Michael, yeah, no, the spectacular goals, you mentioned the statistics. But when I talked about dictating the tempo of the match, this is why I think it eclipses Ibra from a year ago, which, you know, it was ballyhooed. It was unbelievable. I leapt out of my chair, you know, like everybody else across the country and across the world. But overall, the guy played the guy played nearly a full match. He completely controlled the game uh, from the outset almost and developed a relationship with his teammates along the way in his very first game. So to me, it was the overall performance. Yeah, the statistics are there and all that and the, and, and the spectacular and the audacious and any other word you want to attach to it. But uh, he, was just, he was just a great player on the day. Oh, no doubt about it. And, you know, uh, sometimes, a lot of times it's, it's rare that a player – will have that relationship with his teammates this early in his uh, tenure with the team. And if this is what we're going to see for the rest of the year, uh, the rest of the season from him and uh, Toronto, uh, heaven help the Eastern Conference. Um, I know there'll be ways uh, teams will devise ways to stop them, slow them down, that sort of thing. 
but when you've got a talented player um, with with so much skill, and uh, I, I think he's going to take uh, Toronto a long way. Uh, I my gut feeling is I don't think Toronto is going to be the same team as last year. That underachieving uh, MLS championship side. Now, and he reminds me, kind of impactful, like uh, Nacho Piatti is with Montreal, and uh, Piatti's not going to play for the second consecutive game when the impact travels to the Bronx to play New York City. Uh, we're going to talk to Tony Marinaro a little bit later on in this program uh, to preview that and talk about Piatti's importance. But, uh, yeah, Pozuelo, quite influential. So, the Penenka. I, I thought after I, I made the call, and I, I have talked about Penenka before, and you know, what a and and then went back and and said, well, what are some of the great Penenkas? And Googled it and YouTube and 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 the the historical aspect of this. And um, so I thought it'd be interesting, Michael, you as a historian as well, that we could uh, just kind of review exactly what this thing is. So I'm just going to define what it is, and then we got to talk about the guy who made it happen. His name's Penenka. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually quoting from a combination of Wikipedia and a couple other places because I, I like the way they described it. So a penenka is a subtle touch underneath the ball, causing it to rise and fall within the center of the goal. It deceives the keeper who is counted on by the penalty taker to have guessed aside and committed by diving away from the center of the goal. And this is what you see. So the first player, and, and let's, share what we know about him, uh, Michael, uh, a guy from Czechoslovakia in the 1976 UEFA European Championship final. He had the game-winning penalty to beat West Germany, his name Antonin Panenka, and he uh, he did that little delicate thing for the final kick of the game. I mean, what? That's gutsy, man. Uh, in so many different ways. Listen, I've taken penalties before. And I know how difficult they are. And listen, this was just in a competition, not in a game. But when you've got a, a game at a, a championship level, uh, uh, the highest, virtually the highest level possible on the line, and you are so audacious when you take a shot like that, you know, what was he thinking? And I mean that in a good sense. I mean, um, did he notice something, uh, the goalkeeper leaning one way or the other? Or he just said, hey, I'm going to try this because I don't think a goalkeeper is going to, st you know, literally stand his ground. He's going to go to the left or the right. He's not going to go into the center. And it's it's an amazing feat. And, you know, I think it's pretty cool to have a goal named after you or, you know, yeah. that, that is that is a, that is one hell of an honor that's going to last with uh, with him after he uh, passes on. That's going to last with him forever. Well, it was the first European championship decided by penalties and then in the 1980 world uh, 82 world cup uh, Panenka scored twice on penalties in the same manner but uh, they were the only goals by uh, the Czechs so they failed to advance out of the group and and you talked about you know what was he thinking uh, is he reading the goalkeeper uh, Andrea Pirlo uh, did this <laughs> in a competition and uh, he claimed that uh, in no way was he trying to uh, show up the keeper. Uh, he, uh, this was UEFA Euro 2012, and mm -hmm. that's when Pirlo did his, the, the most famous one. And he said he waited as he approached the ball. He saw that the keeper 
moved a little bit, and then just that little delicate chip. And my good, it's just it's fascinating to watch because if it's if it's clipped just right, it just goes slowly into the air and into the goal, while the keeper has already dived to his right or left, and he's just laying there. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's like slow, brutal frustration. You know what I mean? There it is. It's going in very, very slowly. It looks like maybe the keeper, maybe if, if there's a miracle, he'll be able to uh, regain his balance, his feet, and somehow stop it. It's it's sort of like torture, I think, <laughs> for a goalkeeper when he uh, sees it uh, going that slowly because we all see many uh, a penalty kick taker try to murder the ball and, and make it an, an emphatic shot into the lower corner, right corner, whatever, and we've seen some that have become moonshots. I don't think uh, Roberto Baggio's uh, attempt hasn't come down yet. Uh, he was uh, uh, the Italian player who took the last penalty at the 94 World Cup and uh, and missed and, and giving Brazil the championship. But uh, it is, uh, you know, you know, for someone like Pirlo, and he's got one of the great soccer minds of, of all time because you're up there, you're ready to take the kick, and you see something and you, you make that split decision. Usually players will go with their first inclination, their first instinct, but to do it at the last minute, you know, you've got to have the skill. And again, the boldness to, to try that, because if you miss <laughs> people are going to re- remind you about it and, and they'll write about it. And today it'll be all over the social media, obviously, um, you know, back in the day before we had, uh, Facebook and Twitter and everything else, you might be able to get away with it. Today, <laughs> you'll be shamed from here to the end of time, although maybe your video clip will be seen several million times. Well, uh, well Pirlo uh, was the victim of social media when he uh, hid behind the wall on a, I think it was a Sebastian Giovinco free kick a couple of seasons back. Uh, or uh, on a corner kick defending, he was on one of the posts, and he just kind of uh, he kind of leaned out of the way as the ball went rifling into the back of the net. So, and Pirlo has missed a, a Panenka as well, but it was in a friendly, so it didn't have the uh, the same <laughs> uh, same kind of impact. Mike uh, Michael Lewis with us here, uh, talking Panenka and other things as well. And I, I think I don't want to leave it just yet because Pozuelo here was the to to me the. Um, the very uh, impressive thing about his Penenka, because Eber also had one on the weekend, right? A game winner against mm-hmm. Portland and Jeff Antonella, Pozuelo doing it to Sean Johnson. But Pozuelo's was, which, again, it was just so slow. It was just so delicate and slow. But what he said, he said when a goalkeeper, this is his studying of the game, when a goalkeeper is first seeing uh, an opponent at the, at the penalty spot, uh, their tendency is to guess one way or the other. So he was expecting Sean Johnson to go down. So he had, uh, I, I don't know if you, if, you, if you read or heard the story that Bill Manning, the president of Toronto, uh, they were out to dinner the night before the match, and he told Manning that if he ever got a chance for a penalty, his first penalty, he was going to do the Panenka. And you imagine, <laughs> imagine what Bill Manning was, was doing up in the press box or in the owner's box, wherever he was sitting, and here he is stepping up, and he knows what he's going to be doing. The only, maybe the only person uh, at BMO that, that understood that. So, uh, well, look, it's fun to talk about, uh, but it, it was obviously wasn't fun for Sean Johnson or Jeff Antonella, and uh, right now it hasn't been much fun, Michael, for New York City FC they are winless in their opening four matches of the two ni- uh, 2019 season. 
And that's their worst start in the five years of the franchise. What have you seen? Yeah, uh, disappointing. I, I know there are, there were games and times that they have played well. Um, and, boy, um, how, how many hours do we have? Oh, I'm sorry, we only have minutes. But I'll, I'll, it, it, it's been frustrating. It just seems like um, there is something lacking. And, yes, it's easy to say there's no Davi Villa. Don't get me wrong. He is... Uh, you know, again, beyond the goals out there, the fact that he's when he was on the field for the team, he brought something extra to the team. And even if you put in a player that's decent in his uh, spot, uh, it's still not the same. I think that's part of it, quite frankly. Um, believe it or not, this is another. I think another part is you, they miss someone like uh, Herrera. Uh, I, and I mean, you're thinking, what is he, 20, 21 years old? How could you say that a, a 20, 21 year old uh, defensive midfielder uh, makes a big impact? Uh, his absence makes a big impact on the team. Well, take a look at the team across the river from NYCFC. That's right. The Red Bulls. No Tyler Adams. Yep. No Tyler Adams. And they have, uh, I'm not saying that the players that they have are head in those positions or or the ones for nycfc but both of those players brought a unique perspective to the game uh great soccer iqs for their for their age great vision and you just can't replace players like that and you know let's face it um i think a lot of us gave uh dome torrent a, a, a buy last year being his first year the fact that he got the team in the middle of the season and it's not easy to take over a winning team in the middle of the season. You don't really necessarily want to change that much, but now that he's had an entire winter to readjust, uh, bring in some players that he'd like to see uh, in the lineup, uh, instill his uh, philosophy on the team. Uh, it's the, Let's face it, the start has been quite disappointing. I mean, I expected more. I, did I expect to Lots of points, not necessarily, but I expected uh, some better results. And I know after some games, he said, you know, hey, we, you know, we played well, but we didn't get the, you know, uh, the goal or the points, the full points. Um, yeah, it's great playing well, but I'm kind of pragmatic after all these years. And you got to you got to accrue points because you don't want what is this the fifth game coming up? Oh, you don't want that to be must win. You know, I know and, every and in game some has ways, to be. Yeah, in some ways it is. I mean, he's classified it as as a must-win himself because he said if they don't get a result, uh, and that's beyond a tie, if they don't get a, a win at home, then uh, he feels like, uh, you know, it's going to be really uh, difficult to, uh, you know, now climb the uh, ladder to, to get into playoff position. And, uh, look, I, I wanted to address your, your Tyler Adams, Yonhel Herrera point. Look at the position those two play. Generally, it's the number eight, the box-to-box right. midfielder. And you've watched the game develop, Michael, and that position, you know, Patrick Vieira, the former New York City coach, I think he kind of made it what it what it became uh, as that box-to-box guy. But it's, it's really become like the – other than the goal scorer and, and maybe the goalkeeper, it's become the, the most vital position, uh, certainly in MLS, but I think worldwide. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I've, oh, I've been a proponent of whether you call it 
a holding midfielder, defensive midfielder, box-to-box, and there are probably some other ways to describe it, the working midfielder, although all midfielders should be work workers. Uh, but Chris Armas, in his day, was the dominant MLS uh, box-to-box holding defensive midfielder. Uh, and he had great success either taking players out of the game, winning the ball, getting it back, getting the ball to the right players. He, he admitted he wasn't the uh, last word on passing or dribbling, right. but he gave it to someone like a Peter Novak, and he and we all know what Peter Novak uh, could do with the ball. And you know, you you need unique players like that. You know, you there are a lot of good, solid, um, you know, players who are. Uh, playing at central midfield, but you just need uh, someone who could, in this day and age where speed and reading of the game is so important, reading of the game so quickly is so important, you know, you you need uh, younger players at that position, and hopefully as they grow older, they don't lose their speed, but, um, you know, it hurt. You know, it hurts. And I know we all make a big deal about goal scorers, and rightfully so. I've, I've written enough about them in my time and, and, and goalkeepers that stand on their head to make saves. But um, the game is won and lost in the midfield. Uh, okay, everyone uh, who's listening now is saying, of course it is. But uh, I agree with you even more so if you have that special number eight player there um, you could do a lot of damage because what he does is he stops attacks and starts attacks. You might not see very many assists on the goal sheet, but uh, and I'll, I'll take I'll, if I'm allowed to use uh, Tyler Adams of the Red Bull as an example on a scoring play we'll, in the we'll playoffs. We'll permit it. Yeah, we'll permit it. Okay. Ahead, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. In the playoffs last year against Columbus, on a scoring play, he touched the ball three times in a seven-pass sequence. And I remember that. I just said, "How many?" It seemed like he was all over the field touching the ball. And I'm I'm trying to remember if he got the assist, a an assist or not. It doesn't matter. The fact that he helped create the goal and he had three out of those seven uh, touches on the ball, that was impressive. Uh, again, uh, what I asked for out of a number eight is <laughs> uh, play an all-around game and make a nuisance of yourself defensively and turn things around. Um, and there, uh, for New York City FC, the uh, there's a, a midfield dilemma. Maybe you could say uh, there's a, a guy named Keaton Parks, a guy named Juan Pablo Torres, who have been acquired. Uh, they were playing in Europe. The emergence of James Sands, Alex mm-hmm. Ring, one of the best defensive midfielders in the league, is now more in that number eight role, even at times looking like a, a, a 10, getting in close to goal. So that's one aspect uh, of all this, uh, and Dome Toron, after Wednesday's training session, was asked about Parks and whether he might start at the 10, which is where he's played throughout most of his career, and Dome said, maybe. That was the quote. The other thing that came out of training, Michael, and you mentioned it earlier in your description, uh, the, the lack of goal scoring, and that's certainly a, a, an issue, is that the Brazilian, the, the uh, young man acquired, well, he's 27 years old, uh, acquired from Croatia, uh, Aber is training, and uh, what Toron said is now he just has to decide, and he'll wait until Friday to see if he'll uh, be in the starting eleven or whether he'll come in as a reserve and play maybe thirty or forty minutes. But uh, uh, I, I think you'd agree, New York City needs a little bit of a uh, some sort of stimulus in, uh, on that front line. 
No doubt about it. And, you know, and if he's not ready to go uh, the full game, sure, put him in in the second half. I mean, we've seen enough players come off the bench to to make a difference in a short period of time. Um, You know, even Ibro, I think last year uh, in his debut, I don't think he played the the full game. He came on in the second half and he turned that game upside down. I know that's a unique situation, but um, sometimes we make, you know, Maybe this is me getting older and maybe I'm overthinking things. No doubt it's important to start, but sometimes it's not uh, who you start, but who finishes out on the field for you. Not just putting the ball in the net, but who winds up uh, coming off the bench uh, in in that second half. Um, You know, know, I just wonder how much more time before the natives start getting restless. um, when I say the, the natives, I mean the, the fans, because let's face it, uh, Vieira's from Vieira's first season on, first game on, this this team has been quite successful during the regular season. You know, he instilled the style, um, a, a mentality on the team too, a winning mentality. Nothing like having a, a World Cup uh, winning coach guiding your fortunes. And um, even though this is an expansion team, um, NYCFC supporters have expected a degree of uh, superiority and excellence, especially at home. Well, there's so, been a, yeah, no question. There's been an expectation since 2015. Listen, four wins in their last 20 matches. If you're discussing or thinking about natives getting restless, if it's not a win on Saturday afternoon, kicking off at 1.08 p.m. Eastern against the Montreal Impact, who will be without Nacho Piatti, who, when he plays, they win 41% of their games. When he doesn't play, their winning percentage, it's just 16% of their games on the victory side. So you, you add that up. Uh, Maxi Morales uh, probably will be out. He did not train again today. Uh, that is Wednesday. So uh, do they offset each other? I think Piatti, uh, look, Maxi was the MVP of the team last year, as was Piatti for the impact. So uh, neither one of those guys is going to play, and and we'll see uh, who takes over. And uh, But, you know, it it, it, it it kind of, even though it's only the fifth game, Michael, it does seem like a must win. You know, when you don't have any uh, victories, it looks worse in the standings. If this was the middle of the year, yes, they, they would definitely be concerned, maybe some uh, worry or a lot of worry by some people. But when it's at the beginning of the year, that bat zero under the W column definitely sticks out. And, you know, yes, uh, can teams come back from a slow start? No doubt about it. It's a 34-game season. But when, you know, you start digging a hole for yourself, and you look up from it, and you just see all those teams in front of you. It, it's not an easy task whatsoever. Um, I just, uh, I'm just uh, uh, hope, hoping for uh, some pleasant weather that day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Michael. Listen, you mentioned your uh, that you uh, you may be old like three times during the interview. So stop that. Just stop. Right. <laughs> he is the uh, editor of Front Rows Soccer. Uh, follow Michael Lewis at soccer writer michael uh thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh we'll see you at the game uh, for sure hey a pleasure being on thank you
Well, it's time to preview New York City FC against Montreal. It'll be on Saturday, 1 o'clock Eastern at Yankee Stadium. And to help us with that is a guy that has uh, followed the impact since its inception. Tony Marinaro is a sports radio host for TSN 690 in Montreal. He covers the impact. He's seen it all up there. Tony, uh, welcome to the program. How you doing? Thanks for having me, Glenn. I appreciate it. Doing well. Thank you. Well, let's... Uh, Let's start with what happened most recently, uh, and I think when you look at the season as a whole, it's it's a little difficult to evaluate, but this massive loss at Sporting KC 7-1, my initial thought is, what's the mood in training like this week? Do you have any feel for that? Well, uh, I, I don't have a feel for what the mood is like because it's so far it's early on in the season. They've played four games. The team is 2-2. Two and two. We don't know how they're going to respond to their most lopsided loss in franchise history. We have no idea because it's never happened to the impact losing a game by a score of 7-1. to one. Now, clearly, the guys are saying all the right things, but you have to think it's a huge downer, Glenn. It's a downer because they went to Sporting KC. They took seven goals. They were without Nacho Piatti, and Remy Gard has already confirmed that Nacho Piatti will not play in the game in New York. Wow. Well, let's let's focus on Piatti. I mean, it, it's Remy Gard. You know, despite some of the thoughts he'll give when they are without uh, Piatti, it, it's hard to it's hard to argue that that the impact's not a one man show. I mean, I don't know what the statistics are over the years when he's in the lineup and out of the lineup, but uh, I, I would think it would be pretty significant. Look, I think the impact would tell you that if you take the best player out of every team, they're not the same team. But to say that the impact is more dependent on Piatti than probably most teams in the MLS, if not every team in the MLS are without their star player, I would think that has to be fairly accurate. I mean, here's a guy that the impact haven't had um, a very good striker in the last couple of seasons. With all due respect to Anthony Jackson Amel, with all due respect to Matteo Mancosu, it's a couple of seasons where the impact don't get a lot of production from their striker. But it's Piatti who leads the way with 15, 16, and 17 goals. He's the guy who carries the team. He's the guy who makes everyone around him better. Last year, it took a couple of games for him to get start getting chemistry with, uh, with Alejandro Silva, who's no longer there this year. And he was able to make Silva shine. He makes everyone on the field better. He makes the Montreal impact a very dangerous team. Other teams' game plans are around stopping Piatti, and if you can stop him, you got a real good chance of beating the impact. And just take a look at what happened in Kansas City. They go into that game without Piatti, and you can tell that the mentality of the team going into the game, they were defeated. I mean, that game was lost before it even started. Well, what about the acquisition of Maxi Arruti from, from FC Dallas? And, you know, he has certainly had, you know, a level of success as a striker in MLS has his impact not really uh, been felt yet. Well, look, when any time a player moves over, I mean, there's a couple of things that can happen, right? One, a player doesn't skip a beat and he picks up where he leaves off, and another one is there's that whole adjustment and adaptation period, which is normal, which happens most of the time. So I'm going to go easy on a Rudy for now because you're four games in and he's still a relatively new player. Having said that. You can count me among those who are concerned. Not with his work ethic. He works really hard. He comes back into the midfield. 
He checks back. He uses his wingers. Um, he, he shields the ball well. He holds up the ball. Um, back to net, he's really good. He does a lot of work. He's got a high volume. All those things are good. But at the end of the day, a striker, if he's not scoring, needs to be dangerous. And so far, he hasn't shown me that he's that kind of player that can be dangerous. And maybe the impact didn't think he was. Maybe they thought, hey, if he picks up eight or nine goals, it's enough. Because Piatti will probably pick up 17 or 18. But, you know, Piatti is not getting any younger. And now he's going to be missing his second game. And so if you thought that it was going to be okay for a Rudy to score eight or nine because Piatti was going to score many, well, then what happens if Piatti gets hurt? So once again, it's still early. There's still a level of adaptation trying to get to know his players. And let's face it, it's not like the Impact have a legitimate number 10 who can actually feed the ball to, to uh, a Rudy if Piatti's not there. Look, once again, it's still early. But if I would have to evaluate, I think Rudy is more of a nine and a half than he is a real nine. All right, we're with Tony Marinaro, a sports radio host, TSN 690 in Montreal, where he covers the impact. What is the deal with all these road matches? So at Yankee Stadium this weekend, it'll be the fifth consecutive road game for Montreal to kick off the season. Then they'll go to D.C. United to make it six in a row away from home then the home opener against Columbus, and then two more on the road. So eight of the first nine are on the that's a tough. That's a tough start. Are they doing renovations at Stad Saputo? Is it the weather? What's going on? Well, it, in previous years, Glenn, they always had their opener at the Olympic Stadium. Um, to say that it's not the most appealing place to watch a soccer game is, is an understatement. That's uh, terrible. Um, it's it's uh, awful. It, I know. I've been a, there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really a terrible place. Unless, of course, they're playing a CONCACAF Champions League game. There's 60,000 people in the place, and, and just the importance of the game is so big. But yeah. it's, it's just not a good place to watch a game, nor is it a secure place to watch a game in terms of, I mean, that roof has torn over 7,000 times in a 10-year span. I repeat, what? over 7,000 times the roof has torn in a 10-year span. You heard right. And so our climate being what it is and our weather being what it is and our long winters being what they are, if you have the game at Olympic Stadium, which is something they don't want to do anyway, if there's any accumulation of snow, at that time it puts the game in jeopardy and maybe the game doesn't take place. So I think what they wanted to do this year, say, okay, no more games at Olympic Stadium. Our home is Stad Saputo. That's where we're going to play our games. The challenge being, once again, though, is that it's not like the turf is, it's not like the, it's not like the, the, the grass is heated or anything like that. Uh, so it's hard to get the snow off the grass uh, because even if you do get the snow off the grass and you, you, you plow it off, at that point, the, uh, the grass is very, very hard. Probably the playing conditions wouldn't be very good. You don't want to put the players in any kind of danger whatsoever either. So I think what they said was, if we play the first six games on the road and we can play at Stad Saputo starting in around the second week of April, things should be good. And as a matter of fact, here we are, and parks are starting to, parks are opening up in Montreal for kids playing soccer and stuff, amateur soccer. The parks are opening up this weekend. So, uh, you know, it's about right that they start in the second week of April 
And once again, the reality is what it is, and they're going to kind of have to do it unless they get some kind of heating system in place going forward, and then they can start earlier. Or, or the Saputo gang, you know, buy a temporary roof, you know, for the <laughs> for the early portion of the <laughs> season, and then uh, all right. Well, that's uh, that's interesting because yeah, I. You know, playing in that Olympic Stadium uh, is difficult. There's no atmosphere. The the turf is generally not not particularly favorable. All right. Well, that explains it. Uh, but that makes it tough. Now there there were two wins over the first three matches before that debacle at, at Kansas City, with wins at San Jose, at Orlando City, and then in between a loss at Houston. But I guess uh, you know the cynic in us, or maybe me, could just say, well. A win over San Jose and Orlando City on the road, that's not such a big deal. What do you think of those matches? Yeah. Well, look, there's two ways to look at it, right? One is they played very weak teams and they got the result that they were supposed to get. I got you. The other way of looking at it is the schedule is what it is, and if you play 500 on the road, you should make the playoffs. And so four games in, the impact are 2-2, two and two. And that's good news because if you would have told the impact that when they were going to come back and play their first game at Statsapoodle after six games on the road, that they would be three and three, for example, and playing 500, they would take it. Now, they're not three and three yet. They've only played four games. They're two and two. So they beat the teams they had to beat, which, yes, yeah, one way of looking at it. But there's a lot of teams in this league that lose games that they're supposed to win. So, once again, it's still early on in the season. Their, their toughest test came in sporting Kansas City. They obviously failed it miserably. But let's see this team's character and their ability to rebound. So, uh, once again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to judge um, what kind of team they have, really, and, and what they're capable of. It's still early. But clearly, I think this game versus New York City, they have a lot to prove to everyone. Well, and you look on the opposite side, New York City's coming off uh... – a drubbing in Toronto, 4-0. So you've got two teams that uh, are facing some early season adversity. Hey, I wanted to read this tweet from Chamit Sham, and I'm wondering what uh, if there was any uh, any reaction to this. The uh, he, he tweeted out, I just want to apologize to all Montreal Impact supporters who were offended by my frustration of throwing the jersey when being subbed off. In no way did I intend to disrespect the technical staff the badge, and especially you fans. It was definitely not due to me being frustrated from being subbed off. It was more so an action resulting from the disappointment of my performance, especially the bad touch which led to the fourth goal. So here's a young guy taking some responsibility. What, what did his teammates or, or, or the supporters say after this? Well, they, they didn't say much, to tell you the truth, because he's a young player. He's going to make mistakes. He realized it was a mistake once it happened. Um, but he's right when he says that he had a great opportunity in front of him because it was uh, it was uh, quite the decision by Remy Gard to actually put him in to start the game. Here you have a young player. Here you have a team that's playing a very important and a very difficult game on the road. And with Piatti missing, Remy Gard actually removed Safir Tider from his eighth position to put him to play Piatti's left wing position and put Schultz to play Tyder's position. It was a very bold move because Tyder had been playing great for the first three games of the season as the number eight. And the shoes were probably too big to fill for Schultz 
on that particular day. But, yeah, look, he made a mistake by obviously throwing down the jersey. Uh, this is an organization that doesn't tolerate that kind of stuff. But at the same time, uh, you know, the fact that they, uh, they lost the way they did and they performed the way they did, it would have looked a lot worse. Let's just say the game is tied. He gets subbed off. He throws the jersey. At that point, he's put himself ahead of the team. And the frustration of being subbed off, uh, that could cost them. But the fact that they were just so terrible, it was just such a terrible result, and add to that that he is a young player, I think it showed a lot of, although it was a mistake, it showed a lot of, a lot of care level on his part to be really upset with the way things were going for him and for the team. Uh, Tony, uh, a player that Remy Gard brought in, somebody he's quite familiar with, uh, played for Gard at Lyon, uh, Harry Novillo, a winger, and one would have assumed that he, with Piatti out, that he would have moved in or slotted in to a starting role in this Sporting KC match. So what was the thinking there? There's an oppor- there was an opportunity for Novillo with the sale of Alejandro Silva, who was playing the right wing last year. So in an ideal situation, the Montreal Impact play, well, I'm going to give you the top of their lineup, with Urudi up top, they play with Piatti on the left, they play with Novillo on the right, and they play with Safir Tider in between them. And here's a guy that you're right, Remy Gard has a history with, he knows him, but he's been rather unstable in terms of his performances and maybe even professionalism at times. But Remy Gard saw you know, an opportunity here at right wing and an opportunity for a young man to come in and redeem himself and get a fresh start. Remy Gard knows the league, he experienced it last year, and was convinced that Harry Novillo could help this team. And in the times that we've seen him this season, it looks like he is a player that can help. Now, he put the impact in a really, really bad situation in Sporting Kansas City. Why? Because on Thursday afternoon, a couple of days before the game, he advised the organization that he couldn't find his passport. And uh, and they said, well, uh, you know, the plane leaves tomorrow afternoon, on Friday afternoon, you have a day to find your passport. And he didn't find it. Oh. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, when you're dealing with a French passport, you, you you know you can't get it in 24 hours, probably five or six business days. Um, it looks like you know it's still unconfirmed whether or not he's going to play in New York, but he should get his passport by then. So if I were a betting man, I would bet that he'll be on the trip to go to New York. But then Remy Gard found himself not only without Nacho Piatti and not only without uh, Zachariah Diallo, who was. Uh, Red carded the game before that in Orlando City, but now minus Harry Novillo as well. So the impact didn't have a very offensive lineup going into KC, minus Piatti and minus Novillo, and that's the situation. I mean, it's odd. I, I have to tell you, it's, it's probably happened that a player arrived at the airport and forgot their passport and went back home and got it or sent someone to go get it for them. But I have to tell you, Glenn, in 16 years uh, covering this team, this is the first time I've ever seen a player say to the organization, I can't find my passport and not make a trip because he lost his passport. Oh, well, that is crazy. And I guess uh, the jury's still out or the uh, the immigration jury or the, uh, uh, you know, whether he's going to have this uh, passport uh, in time to come uh, down to New York City. That's wild. Well, uh, one player you mentioned there, uh, Tony is uh, Diallo, uh, who is filled in nicely at the back. I mean, is this the kind of guy that's uh, 
helping supporters forget about Laurent Simon? Well, you know, Rod Fanny came in last year and did a fantastic job at central defense. But a couple of things happened with him. Number one, I think he's 37 years old. And number two, there wasn't much money left to pay him because they're pretty much up against the cap, which is something that they're going to have to revisit going forward. Because when you're up against the cap, you have to have the best bang for your buck. And I'm not so sure they do. But anyway, so they couldn't bring Fanny back. Diallo came in last year. The reason why they got Fanny is because Diallo had suffered um, uh, an injury. And um, Diallo's good. He's really good. From what he's shown us thus far, early on, he's adapted to the league very well. He looks very comfortable. And when he's on his game and he's playing his game, he's a very, very good central defender. I believe he was on the MLS uh, team of the week after week one with his performance, but uh, you know, the wires touched in Orlando City. Uh, Dom Dwyer got in his head, and uh, he gave him a shove, and he got red-carded, and he put the Montreal Impact in a bad situation there. But uh, he'll be back, and they're going to need him because I have to tell you that central defense is not the Montreal Impact's strong point. And when he's not there, they have Cabrera and Camacho. It's um, It's very concerning. Well... The uh, the impact come into New York City, and they're still looking for their first win ever against NYCFC. So I'm curious, Tony, what uh, what's being said about uh, this uh, team from the Bronx up your way, uh, and what will it take for the impact to, to get a result and without Piotti, which you know is going to be difficult unto itself. Well, the players aren't talking much about New York City. I mean, when things aren't going well for you. The party line is we have to worry about our own game and we have to worry about what we're going to do. And if we do what we have to do and we play the way we're capable of playing, then at that point we'll get a positive result. That's what the players did. There's not much talk about New York City. What I can tell you is uh, is um, the media's perspective of New York City and the fans' perspective of New York City, which is probably shared by the players, is that this is not the New York City FC that they used to be. This is the one probably with the, with, uh, with, uh, uh, the, the least dynamic of the New York City FC teams that we've seen over the past couple of years. Uh, and if there's a time to get a result, uh, this is probably as good a time as any because uh, this is a very winnable game on the weekend, even minus Piatti. Piatti out and possibly the debut of Aber, the uh, new Brazilian forward for New York City FC. That remains to be seen. Tony, one final question. Hockey or sure. soccer? I, I, it wasn't that long ago I was in Montreal, and it happened to be during the NHL playoffs, and I'm looking for a, a, a sports pub that will put a soccer match on for me. It didn't happen. They wouldn't do it. What's going on up there? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a big-time hockey city. I mean, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. The Impact have their, their share of supporters, and you know the ones that they have, albeit – not huge in numbers compared to the Canadians. They're very, very loyal. Uh, so they do have their loyal fan base. But uh, this city is hockey, and the Montreal Canadiens are involved in a huge playoff push right now. Uh, just a couple of games left in the season, and uh, and uh, they're on the outside uh, right now. And, and so uh, it's a big hockey city. You have to Look, we have to realize the Montreal Canadiens were founded in 1917. The Montreal Impact were founded, I believe, in 1994. So there's a huge history of uh, 
of uh, the Canadians, of hockey, of superstars, of Hall of Famers, of dynasty teams that won four cups in a row, that won five cups in a row. And that's why Montreal is and will always be a hockey city. But make no mistake, the impact they're growing, the MLS is growing. I love this league. People tell me it's not the most tactical league. I say I agree with you. But soccer is about fun and entertainment. And in my opinion, it's one of the top two or three leagues in the world in terms of pure entertainment. All right, Tony. Well, it's been a pleasure. Tony Marinaro, sports radio host for TSN 690 in Montreal, where he also talks about the Canadiens. No problem. He also covers the impact and has done that from their inception. And, uh, Tony, good luck with everything, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for having me, Glenn. I look forward to it. You can follow Tony at Tony Marinaro. One final New York City note, academy coach and former NYCFC midfielder, Mehdi Belushi is the head coach of the New York, New Jersey Select at the U14 Youth National Team East Regional Camp. It'll take place at the Capelli Sports Complex in Tinton Falls starting on Friday. Ten NYCFC Academy players are on the roster, including goalkeeper Max Fafman, plus defenders Gabriel Chavez, Dren DeBruna, and David Medina, midfielders Junior Guinness, Kobe Thomas, and Eric Villaboy, and forwards Tyler Glassberg, Mateo Ponce, and Jeffrey Venegas. Well, that'll do it for this week's On Frame. Be sure to subscribe on TuneIn and iTunes. I'm Glenn Crooks.